This podcast is brought to you by Franklin Covey and the author of a new book entitled Management Mess to Leadership Success. Please listen to podcast number 728, where Scott and Greg discuss some of the 30 challenges that Scott has developed to assist leaders in spite of their humanness and the messes we make to become better leaders. A few of the challenges include demonstrating humility, thinking abundantly, listening first, and declaring your intent. The 30 challenges are divided into three sections, lead yourself, lead others, and get results. As Scott says, I'll be one of the first to admit that leadership isn't always rewarding. It can feel like a bottomless pit of problem solving in adult sitting. Leadership is exhausting, repetitive, and requires a consistent stretch of your emotional and intellectual skills. Please listen to podcast number 728 in this engaging discussion about some practical applications you can use to manage people and to do it more effectively by using some of the 30 challenges outlined in Scott's new book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. I know you will enjoy this engaging and informative podcast with author and EVP of Franklin Covey, Scott Miller. You can learn more about the book by visiting www.managementmess.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And on the line with me is John Bielenberg. And John is joining us from San Francisco. Is that where you are? Are you in, um, where are you? I'm, ac- I'm actually on the coast of Maine today. Ah. Belfast, Maine. Uh, Belfast, Maine. But you live yeah. in Northern California, correct? Um. Kind of. I'm sort of all over the place. I'm currently director of the Think Wrong Institute in Lawrence, Kansas, at the University of Kansas. Okay. Um, but um, I'm not there all the time. So I bounce around between San Francisco, Los Angeles, Kansas, and Maine. All right. Well, you get a little part of the country. You get to you get to feel what it's like consciously to be in different parts of the world. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I met John at a Pandos Populous event at the Claremont Men's College. We were just talking before the podcast uh, about five years ago or so. And John, I want to let my listeners know a little bit about you so they can get an idea. And then we're going to be talking about John's new book. Actually, there's four authors involved in this. It's John Bielenberg, Mike Byrne, Greg Gale, and Elizabeth Dickinson. And the book is called Think Wrong how to conquer the status quo and do work that matters. So a little bit about John. John's a designer, entrepreneur, imaginative advocate for creating a better world through the application of creativity and ingenuity. And boy, do we need that. We need the better world part. Uh, John is the co-founder of Future Partners, a Silicon Valley innovation firm. And in 2012, to teach think wrong practices to individuals, teams, and organizations around the world through his clients' work, his partnerships with universities, via invitations to participate in top conferences and events around the world. In 2001, John co-founded C2 Group, a brand strategy firm to help leaders from technology startups, Fortune 500 companies, and the world's top business management consulting firms develop and build their brands. Um, John's been awarded various awards throughout his career. Um, he has an honorary doctorate degree from Maryland Institute of College of Arts. And most recently, John launched Secret Project, a new center of thinking wrong at the California College of the Arts in San Francisco. Well, John, it's a pleasure having you on. And 
I think to put some context around Think Wrong, if you would, um, tell us how you birthed Think Wrong with your partners in Project M. You have a section in the book that you talk about that. I think it'll give our listeners a little bit of context to how this was birthed. Sure. Um, It was in the 90s, and I had a client. I was running a graphic design branding firm in San Francisco um, called Bielenberg Design. And I had a client that was in the institutional investment business, and they had hired a um, behavioral psychologist from Cornell to come in and help them basically exploit human behavior. So this um, behavioral psychologist would help them figure out how other investment managers handling billions of dollars were victims of what they called their own heuristic biases, that we create these neural pathways over time that dictate our behavior, whether we're conscious of that or not. So these investment guys were trying to exploit other investment professionals who are following predictable pathways to predictable solutions. Um, And I start thinking about the design profession where we think we're creative, but we're actually following the same neural pathways in our brains. And that's when I first came up with this concept of thinking wrong. How do we break these pathways in service of new ideas, creativity, innovation that we can't just follow the same um, neural pathways and synaptic connections to the same solutions and expect creative results. Um, yeah, so we're, that, we're kind of pre-wired ahead. for that, you know, and it's, and it is something that you give a lot of uh, tips. You give practices in this book to help people break that um, because you've got to rewire and refire. I know that I've had Stephen Kotler on the show, I don't know how many times, and um, Stephen's a big advocate of, you know, getting into the flow. And actually, to do yep. that, he, you know, he'll advocate, hey, why do you read the same magazine or the same newspaper or go to the same websites? Why don't you try something completely out of your zone? And actually, when I started doing that, it's interesting how your pathways got rewired. And it was a simple thing like that. Now, you state in the book, the way we solve problems is broken. That's what you just said. And that we've been trapped by techniques and assumptions from another era. Um, I think we have these limbic brains, which are in a different era. Um, maybe maybe a, a bit above what the monkey is. But um, what are some of the techniques and assumptions that have been made and are we keep making that's uh, breaking us from getting through or keeping us, I should say, from getting through a glass ceiling? Because it seems like we just bump our head against the wall. Yeah, so, right. So some of the the, the business practices, like um, everything has to have a strategic plan before you start. ROI, you have to know that you're going to make money before you do anything or best practices that the future will be defined by what worked in the past. Um, these are just some of the things that exist kind of in, in business schools and are taught. Um, and they, they, they work to a point, but not when you have to innovate or create a, um, a solution to a big challenge in a new way. Right. So then they prevent you from kind of moving forward. 
and where our brains are, it's much easier to follow a pre-existing pathway, um, and it allows us to exist in the world. So there is a functional reason to create a neural pathway. Like I'm, I have a thought and a vocalization. I don't have to think about it because there's a pre-existing pathway to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but an example of how hard it is to think wrong. If you try to talk wrong, put words together in a nonsensical sequence, it's almost impossible. It's it's almost impossible to do because our brains just don't want to follow that. Yeah, it we as you said, you know, we are really hardwired, and to even get a little bit away from that hardwiring um, becomes a challenge. But you've been working for years helping people do that. And you tell a great story in the book about this scientist, Thomas Willis, in 1662, who gathered a crowd of people together to study the human brain. His theories and assumptions included the belief that a person's feelings and thoughts were driven by spirit, not by some tangible or neurosis, or or I should say neurons and chemistry inside our heads. You state that thinking wrong is conquering our biology and culture to change how things might be. What are some of the things that you would tell the listeners today who are innovators, who actually are really working hard at breaking status quo and changing those neurons and patterns that you would help them do to break that status quo? Yeah, sure. So what we mean by culture is when you get a lot of people a lot of brains all thinking along the same pathways. It's really difficult to get something new done and living in the world. Um, One of the ways we use, um, we call it that small. So when you have a radical new idea, there's a lot of fear around it. Um, It's not going to work. I'm going to look stupid. We're going to lose money. Um, it, It prevents you from actually getting something done, but when you frame it as a small bet, I don't know if this is going to work. We're going to learn from a little investment. It kind of can alleviate a lot of that fear. Um, Let's just try the small bet and see what happens. So it it allows you to start to get some momentum around a, a new idea. We Sometimes we call it learning for LFI, learning from investment rather than ROI. So, if, you know, it's, we're going to learn something by doing this, and it can kind of break through the, the fear that surrounds new ideas. Yeah, there's so many different uh, principles that you have in here. And you have six wrong thinking practices that you talk about on page 50, 51, and then you proceed to talk about them in the various ongoing, if you want to call them, chapters or sections that help people move beyond the status quo. Uh, What are they and how come some of the innovators listening uh, implement these practices? Now, I know much of your work is done in rooms with posters, sticky notes, and an opportunity to break things. I've done lots of work myself in this arena and taken people into this probably most of my life. That's what I've been doing. Um, It does break the patterns um, and also groupthink um, seems to be a good opportunity to do that. What are, what are some of those, uh, what do you call them, six wrong thinking practices? 
sure. The, the first one is called Be Bold, um, and that has to do with setting kind of the big, bold challenge. Our, our thinking is that you want to start big and bold and difficult because everything will conspire to kind of bring that down. Um, and if you're going to invest your time and energy and um, creativity in something, you know, it, it should be kind of a big, hairy challenge. So that's that's what that is about. And the, the practices are sort of related to how how do you kind of set that, whether the question is are you addressing the right challenge or not. Um, the second one is called Get Out, and this has to do with getting out of your orthodoxies and ways of working. A lot of times we actually get people, we do these, um, we call them think wrong blitzes, someplace unique and special so people are out of their corporate environment, which has its own kind of set of orthodoxies and, and ways of thinking. Um, an example of a get out practice is called 10 by 10 by 10, where everybody has to get out of wherever they are, meet 10 people, 10 different locations, and come back with 10 stories. So it really forces you to go places you've never been before, talk to people you don't know, and kind of extract some interesting kind of piece of the story to come back with. That's, a great, that's a great exercise. Yeah. 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 And oftentimes the whole project really gets driven by one of those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but it's completely unpredictable. And it's, it's really about getting people into a mindset of discovery um, and out of just a conventional sort of the normal way of thinking about things. Yeah, and that's a good way. And then you've got let go. Yeah, let go is really the, the think wrong engine. Um, and this has to do with letting go of all preconceived ideas of, around this challenge. Um, and so an example of a, one of my favorite practices is called um, Be Stupid. And that is you come up with the stupidest ideas possible. So, and yet they can't be stupid enough. So an example, we were doing a project for a group in Oakland, California, that was trying to get kids engaged in education during the summer. And the stupidest idea, which was one I came up with, was free cigarettes, right? So there's no, like, that's ridiculous. Why, you know, you wouldn't give out free cigarettes to kids to get them um, into education. But what we do then is start with free cigarettes and you have to come up with a, a solution to the challenge. Um, and your mind has no pre-existing pathways between free cigarettes and education for kids. So it really forces you to create new pathways. So in this particular case, it might be how, how do cigarette companies get people hooked on nicotine, right? Oh, they use sports and entertainment, giveaways, advertising, right? So you start to think uh, maybe there's a, a, a way that we could kind of co-opt one of those um, sort of processes that cigarette companies use. So it, it, that's kind of how you make that connection. And yeah. it always yields things you'd never have imagined before. 
Yeah, like you say, it's you're stretching beyond assumptions, right? Right. And biases. Right. Um, right. And that's that's truly what you're what you know what you're doing there to make that happen. So it's that cigarette example is a good one. And then you've got make stuff. Yeah, make stuff is really to counteract um, this compulsion to debate ideas to death. So out of the let go, you might come up with five really interesting concepts. And within a large organization, that could be, you know, just argued to death. This will never work. We tried this before, whatever. So the make stuff is really about, we don't know where this is going. Let's just start to prototype something and see what happens. So it kind of starts to lubricate the machine to allow these crazy ideas to, to live in the world. And as soon as you prototype, type something, it's much easier for people to imagine kind of the impact it could have or how it could work. Yeah, it's a, it's all of these practices are really good opportunities for people, individuals, corporate to, uh, as you say, uh, break beyond status quo. Now, the other one is bet small. And I get this right because I've yeah. been a serial entrepreneur and I know what happens when you bet big. So, <laughs> right. And it's, you know, I mentioned it before, it's about smallifying these ideas. So here's, here's a big idea. How can we smallify it and spend $500 in a week, right? So it's really, it depends on the size of the or, uh, organization. If it's Microsoft, it might be, you know, $50,000 in two months or something. That's a small nonprofit, a hundred dollars in three days, right? So it's it's really smallifying things to a size that are actionable, and it, and you know then hopefully you're going to get some momentum or at least see what's kind of catching and working and what isn't. And then your last one is move fast. Yeah, move fast is about kind of collecting the, the results of those small bets and then seeing where the momentum is and kind of put it, pushing the pedal down. Um, so once you've kind of figured out a path, how do you keep things going so they don't just kind of get wrapped around the axle, which is common with large organizations of any kind. So those are the ones for my listeners. So it's be bold, get out, let go, make stuff, bet small, and move fast. Uh, there are quite a few opportunities within the book as you explain how to use these. The other thing that I found very compelling about the book was is there were also some great stories. So I'm going to ask you about a couple of those as sure. well because those stories actually exemplify um, how you guys came in and got people to think wrong. And the one of them was this uh, success stories that you tell compelling uh, is the synergies behind the de development of this common drink, but it's called Rebel, R-E-B-B-L. Right. Um, right. And I thought yep. that the story was interesting. Would you be willing to kind of articulate that in a sure. short form fashion for our listeners so they understand you know, how you apply some of these principles and how people are using this to uh, change the world, because I love the story behind this. And, and, you know, it was just, it was a great story. Sure. 
Yeah, this was for an organization called Not For Sale that's based in the San Francisco Bay Area, and they are fighting human trafficking worldwide. And the particular challenge was um, with villagers in the Peruvian Amazon who are um, indentured slaves in mining operations because there's really no no other economic opportunity. Um, And so we ran a Think Wrong Blitz on the coast of California. Um, Typically, we bring in all kinds of people, um, including what we call creative insurgents. So they're they're just creative people. They might not have any subject um, matter expertise at all. And on my team, I had a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, um, a guy named Jeremy Affelt. And there was also a doctor scientist at um, Stanford University um, working on cancer research. And at one point, the um, Jeremy Affelt, the baseball pitcher, he said, well, um, I don't even know why I'm here. Like I didn't graduate high school. You know, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing here, which was kind of humorous. Um, but he played a big role in the the ultimate idea. Um, and so, as we're discussing with the Peruvian Amazon, the scientists um, from Stanford said there's a plant in the Amazon called cat's claw which grows naturally and the villagers make tea out of it. And there's cancer fighting properties um, in that tea. And there's hardly any cancer in this, this particular area of the world. And so Jeremy, the baseball pitcher goes, well, why don't we just make tea out of that, you know, and sell it. And at the time we called it smart tea. Um, but later on it was changed to rebel R E B B L, which stands for root, extract bark berries and leaves um and it kind of looks like a kombucha drink it's actually what's called a tonic um all the ingredients are sourced from the peruvian amazon um and it it launched it reasonably well eventually got into all the whole foods and we did a line of smoothie drinks and it became a big success and Nobody, when we went into the Think Wrong Blitz, had this idea of enterprise or micro-enterprise, you know, to address this human trafficking issue um, in the Peruvian Amazon. It just came out of that process, and it became so successful, the nonprofit, Not For Sale, started a separate division called Just Business, where they create these enterprises that help their their constituents, but also create uh, economic engine for the nonprofit. And all of that came out of that process and it, it, it actually my group at the Think Wrong Blitz. It it was a very compelling story. And I you, again, you tell many compelling stories in there. And I think it's important for our listeners to see how this Think Wrong can be applied to a problem and how it can help make a solution of that problem and how the there's just so many what I call branches to the tree. You know, I mean, that's a great story. And another one is, and it revolves around your let go principle. Uh, and in the story, you tell uh, Michael Magelli at Microsoft, and he's got a billion dollar project called Youth Spark. Um, if you would, for our listeners, um, Tell the story about the project and your role in helping them rethink 
that project because you guys did totally rethink it. They were thinking wrong. Sure. Um, yeah, and Michael McGalley was brought into Microsoft to help their culture become more creative. And he was a colleague of ours, so he brought us in specifically on this Youth Spark project. Um, it was Steve Ballmer, who was the CEO at the time. It was his kind of personal social responsibility um, endeavor for Microsoft at the time. And they did spend a billion dollars on it, 500 million on um, equipment, um, and then 500 million, uh, you know, uh, invested in it. The problem with USPARC was that nobody knows they exist. And the way that Microsoft talks about it, if you go to their website, it's kind of buried in there and it's, you can't, it's not exciting the way it's presented. So the, the think wrong challenge was how do we get youth spark much more interesting to um, participants, other organizations that could kind of participate. Um, and so we did a two day think wrong blitz in Seattle. We got them out of the Microsoft offices and ran it in a maker space in Seattle. Um, and then did a get out session where everybody scattered, you know, the 10 by 10 by 10. One of the groups um, visited a nonprofit um, called Cycle Works, I think, where kids were building, um, they would get donations of bicycles. Kids could come in and fix them up and then take a bike with them. In the back of this facility, which was just kind of a warehouse, was a little clubhouse that the kids had created. Um, and, you know, it's for kids, nobody over 21 allowed kind of thing. And there were just old couches and, and, and things. But there was something about this space that the kids created themselves, this secret space, that once we got back um, to, the, to the maker space, to the Blitz, and shared this story about this little clubhouse that had been created, it really sparked this whole idea um, that we called the Extreme Good Network or um, Pirate Radio. And the idea was that there would be a kind of secret space like that created where kids who were involved in um, the Youth Spark program would come and tell stories, broadcast them, um, do podcasts, have a website, you know, video, um, written stories about all the good that was being done all over the world through Youth Spark. Um, so that that was the basic concept. Um, it was um, it was funded um, and started at Microsoft. It's kind of one of those tales of great ideas that never get executed, unfortunately, um, and um, it ended up not, not happening, but uh, it was a fantastic idea. I think it had a lot of potential and something that Microsoft... Why do you, why do you think that, that it ultimately failed? What I mean, look, with a billion dollars, you, you must think, wow, um, that's a lot of financial resources. What, what went wrong there, John? I think it got passed from the group involved in the concept that was participating in the Think Wrong Blitz. It got passed off to other people um, who weren't involved in that, didn't really understand kind of 
how that idea emerged and the value of it and that it was driven by this kind of creative initiative. And they sort of just reverted back to what they were doing before. Um, this is common in large organizations where everybody has things on their plate already. Um, right. And it, I think it also um, was because this guy, Michael McGalley, eventually he left <laughs> Microsoft. I see. Um, right. Because so things get diluted and then they start to lose uh, the momentum that they have. Um, and, and obviously I know what you're talking about because that happens quite a bit, you know? And yeah, and it almost always takes a person who sort of has the energy and authority and mission to make these things happen. Right, that, right. That the Somebody organization... See it, see it through, yeah. Yeah. And, and have a vision for it, like you said. I mean, holding the vision in a in an organization and getting people aligned that are in this involved with the same purpose um, and desire to make something happen, no matter how they make it happen, um, right. is is really quite valuable. Um, yeah. I love your little formulas in here. This is the genesis of Pi Lab. The premise is quite simple. Pi equals a natural place plus a slice of pie, a neutral place, I should say, a neutral place plus a slice of pie in conversation. Conversation plus ideas equal design and ideas plus design equal positive change. Uh, give us a, a little bit about that. That is, That was when you were in uh, Greensboro. Is that where that was happening? Greensboro, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you I were can, doing something um, with bicycles, weren't you? Both of those, yes. Um, we were building bicycles out of locally grown bamboo um, right. there as well. Both of these projects were through <clears throat> my experimental design program called Project M, um, and we ran a lot of a lot of projects in rural Alabama. Hale County, Alabama, is one of the poorest counties in America. Um, and we had a, a wonderful partner, a woman named Pam Dorr, who was executive director of a nonprofit called Hero um, that helped us execute some of these. Um, so PyLab came out of a Project M session um, that started in Maine uh, at the beginning. And the group was having a really hard time aggregating around the project. Like everybody had their own ideas. We had done the get out um, and they were really frustrated, went to a local bar and started drinking beer. And while they were there, they went around the table and everybody revealed a hidden talent. Um, Archie was a tennis champion in high school. We had another girl who was a licensed pyrotechnic expert, you know, uh, with fireworks. And then we got to Rosanna and she said, well, I really like pie. <laughs> it was, I, I was like, well, that's not a talent. That, that doesn't count. But the group <laughs> grabbed onto it and because it was almost March 14th, so 3.14, so pie, P-I. And so they came up with this idea called Free Pie Day on March 14th where they baked all these pies and set up a table and on the streets of this little town in Maine. 
And what they found was that there was an alchemy to pie, coffee, that really spawned conversation. And through the conversation, you could come up with projects, right? So it was a way to, to lubricate the conversation to then come up with design projects in a community. So they came up with this idea called, they called it Pie Lab, um, and decided to do it in rural Alabama and went down there for the summer and did a pop-up Pie Lab. Um, I gave them $800 total, and they had to outfit this little half of our studio down there as a pop-up um, cafe serving pie and coffee. And that was a big success. And so we got a space on Main Street in Greensboro, Alabama, and they built that out. Um, $8,000 we got on Kickstarter. They had to spend 6000 just to do the heating air conditioning. So we really had two grand to do the whole restaurant. And we came in second in the James Beard Awards for restaurant design that year and lost out to the Guggenheim in New York. Um, which is kind of funny, um, and then opened up as this kind of community space um, where there was a restaurant in the front and a design studio in the back, and it just really caught on. And the New York Times Magazine did a story, NPR did a story, and tour buses started showing up, and it became this kind of community space that didn't exist, but also a magnet for that little town that has over time transformed Main Street, um, which was primarily boarded up when we started. And now it's probably 80% occupied. Um, and it's not just because of Pie Lab. There's a lot of other things going on, but it shows how you can start with this crazy kind of concept of I like pie. And through the process, it just grows and grows into something that you couldn't have imagined at the beginning. Well, you know, it takes uh, think wrong. It also takes a lot of grit and determination when you set out on these uh, projects. Um, and along the way, you have to continually uh, think about your thinking. And that's what I loved about the book. Now, you have resources for our listeners and that they can access. Um, this is both for individuals and corporate. Um, what are some of the resources you have that you've developed that and you want to tell them where they would go to actually access these resources uh, that would be available to them? Um, sure. Well, one is um, if you just go to thinkwrongbook.com, um, you can order the book on Amazon, or I think you can still download it for free. Um, that's a good place to start. Um, and. And it's a forward slash resources as well, right? So think wrong book forward slash is it resources. I think it's on the back of the book. Um, if you go all the way to the left-hand corner when you get this book, thinkwrong.com forward slash resources for free think wrong tools and tips. So that would be a great place for them to go um, right. to learn more. And it's just www.thinkwrongbook.com. Uh, that's one. If you want to learn more about Pando's Institute, it's P A N D O I N S T I T U T E dot com. There you can learn more about uh, John's endeavors as well. Um, and any place else you want to send them? Um, no, I think those are 
the, the best places to start. Great. Um, and I'll just mention before we uh, get off on on the pandoinstitute.com site, we've developed a new process we call Think NATO, like Tornado or Sharknado, um, which is much more um, designed for individuals. And it's a simpler process, doesn't really require facilitation or a lot of work. Um, and that's to um, kind of unlock a creative life in everybody. So that that's an interesting kind of takeoff of the think wrong process, which is designed for organizations. Yeah, they also can find out more about that and link to the website. If they're a LinkedIn user, just type in Pando Institute and it pops up. I've got it on the screen right now. There you'll also find some other interviews um, that John did with Al- Alex Boski. And so Bogus- I just encourage, yeah. did I say that wrong? <laughs> Alex Boguski. Boguski. Okay. Yeah. So you always have to figure out how to say somebody's name. That's important. <laughs> well, John, it's been a pleasure having you on Insight Personal Growth and you sharing some of your wisdom and insights about Think Wrong. Uh, that's the title of the book. We'll put a link up on the blog to Amazon, How to Conquer the Status Quo and Do Work That Matters. We'll also have links to the websites for everybody on the blog entry as well. John, it's been a pleasure reconnecting with you and speaking with you today about uh, your new book and all your adventures and actually informing our listeners really about uh, pushing the status quo. And I think that's the most important thing. If you're going to break out of the box, uh, you really do need to read John's books and listen to what they have to say and go up to the websites. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, thank you, Greg. podcast is brought to you by Bob Anderson, the co-author of a new book entitled Mastering Leadership. Please listen to podcast number 724, where Bob and Greg speak about what is required of a leader today to thrive in our current business environment. In Greg's interview with Bob, they speak about an extraordinary framework that Bob created called the Leadership Circle Profile and how this assessment is changing the way leaders see themselves. A self-assessment comes with the book. The book integrates the best theory, research, and practice into the first universal model of leadership. It radically shifts the understanding of extraordinary leadership and how a champion is developed. Please listen to podcast number 724 with author Bob Anderson, the founder of The Leadership Circle. For more information about the book and their services, please visit www.theleadershipcircle.com. Thanks for listening.